you for just a wonderful time in your presence, Lord. There is something of your spirit that comes into our hearts in a very fresh and real way, Lord, when we come together in unity to worship and honor your name. And for this, we give you thanks. And we pray, Lord, that during this time of worship, that our hearts would now be ready to receive those things that you would have for us in the word. We ask that you would open up the scriptures to us tonight and give us ears to hear what you long to say. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31. Continuing our study through Deuteronomy, we're coming into the home stretch here in Deuteronomy. Just a few chapters left. We'll see how far we get tonight. Let's pick it up now in verse 31. You know our setting. Moses is getting ready to uh, come, really coming to the end of his life, coming to the end of his ministry. Uh, he's getting ready to hand the leadership over to Joshua, the children of Israel. They've come out of Egypt. They've been in the wilderness for these 40 years. And now the time has come for them to enter into the promised land. It's a whole new generation that has been raised up out in the wilderness. Uh, some of them were just probably just children when, uh, when they first came out of Egypt, but they've been now out in the wilderness, and, the, and God is getting ready to send them in. And, and Deuteronomy actually means the second law, really means the second giving of the law. Moses restating, retelling, reinforcing the things that were said back and taught back in uh, Exodus, but refreshing it now in the heart of the children of Israel as they get ready to go into the promised land. And what we see now as we come to the end of Deuteronomy, we see Moses now really winding down, the Lord instructing him on how to really uh, transfer the leadership over to Joshua and getting ready to hand it off to him as they cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. First eight verses, actually, uh, we see that. Let's take a look together. Follow with me, verses 1 through 8, and we see God preparing Moses and the people for this transfer of leadership. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. What a birthday. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites and their land, when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to, the, to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you, He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. This transfer of leadership. A few things stood out to me just in looking at those verses. Uh, Moses kind of encouraging the heart of the people. And Moses Moses also encouraging Joshua's heart. Uh, But here's Moses, 120 years old. 
you know, what came to mind is it's just never too late, is it? I mean, Moses was 80 years old when he started the ministry. You remember he spent his first 40 years in Egypt, kind of the prince of Egypt, tried to take some matters into his own hands using his position and using his own strength, uh, utterly failed. God put him out into the desert for another 40 years, kind of as he kind of spent out his own strength and energy and kind of got to be up around 80 years old. And God said, now he's, he's ready now. He's just right to start ministry. And God called him when he was 80 years old. And so 40 years from 80 to 120, Moses has been with this people, led them out of Egypt. You know the miracles, you know the Exodus, the story, the great uh, things that God was able to do with this wonderful man of God, this wonderful leader. It says that God spoke to him face to face. and uh, Just a, a wonderful relationship and ministry, but his ministry is coming to the end, and he's now getting ready to pass. But I do want to encourage you, maybe... You know, I know for myself, I was kind of a late starter in ministry, not 80 years old, but, uh, you know, I, I, it took me a while to kind of really get to that place where I think my heart was ready uh, to be open to, for the things that the Lord wanted to do. And the thing about ministry and those things that God has called you to do, the Bible says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. What that means simply is that God, God doesn't change His mind about His plans and purposes for your life. Now, sometimes we delay those things. Sometimes we you know, take a detour. But God ultimately, when, as we come back to the Lord and as we draw near to the Lord, God always brings us back to that place that He originally had in mind for us. He, he still wants to fulfill the good work that He has planned before the ages for you, for each one of us. And it's never too late. Don't, don't imagine, well, you know, too many years gone by. I should have served the Lord when I was younger. I should have done this. I shouldn't have made this decision. I shouldn't have... And, and you know, you can kind of disqualify yourself. But that's only if you look to yourself as the source and power for ministry. If you look to yourself, the truth is you're right. You are, you are underqualified at any age. But when you look to God and you realize that, that He is the power source for good works that He wants to do in and through your life, then you realize it's never too late. Today's the day of salvation. Start now. Begin to yield and walk with the Lord today. You'd be amazed at what the Lord could do. Moses was amazed at 80 years old. He never imagined. In fact, he tried to talk the Lord out of it. Lord, get somebody else. I, I'm not, good, I'm not you know, really equipped for this task. But he was, and, and God continued to use him. And now he's come to the end, and he's been faithful. He's accomplished, really, those things that God had called him to do. So it's never too late. The other thing that stood out to me was, you know, we need to finish the course. Moses has now come to the end, and he's run the race well. Now we know that he's not able to cross over the Jordan, that this was something that God had to discipline him uh, because of his misrepresenting the Lord in some of their journeying in the wilderness. But nevertheless, God is still able, has still been able to accomplish all the good things that he desired in the life of Moses. And it, it speaks to us about, you know, staying the course. Moses never retired. 
He never came to the place where he, you know, decided, "Wow, enough ministry for now. I'm just going to take it easy and, uh, you know, get a Harley and hit the road." He he was nothing wrong with hitting the road on a Harley. I don't want to say that anything bad about that, but you understand he he kept going all the way to the end. And uh, you need to finish the course. It reminds us of what Paul said in Second Timothy: "I have already being poured out. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering." And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And, you know, I was thinking uh, just in reading this, of course, fresh in my mind is Pastor Chuck Smith's passing and thinking about the uh, memorial service that, you know, was held down at the Honda Center and many thousands there to celebrate his life and ministry. And uh, just, just the blessing of a man that, you know, really, he preached Sunday uh, and he died and passed on, what was it, Wednesday or Thursday? I mean, he, he, he went all the way to the end, continuing to be faithful in his ministry. Finish your course. You know, don't grow weary in well-doing. Stay the course. Continue to walk with the Lord. Continue to accomplish, allow God to accomplish all that He has for you. Now, your ministry may change, and the dynamic of it may change over the years and time. There may be some things just physically that you can do and not do as time goes by. But, you know, the Lord has something for you right to the end. You're done when you go to be with the Lord. That's when you can rest. That's when you can retire. That's when you can really begin to relax. But until that time, and nothing wrong with leisure, nothing wrong with those things. I don't mean to say those are bad, but, but do it all in the, in the Lord. Continue to the things that God has called you to do. And just as Moses did, 120 years old. The other thing I notice here that Moses does very well and as he's transferring this leadership is he, he points people to the Lord. And I think this is a good example. He said, The Lord God your excuse me, the Lord God Himself, He will go with you. Moses said basically, Look, I'm not going with you. I'm 120 years old. Today's my birthday. I'm done, guys. But God Himself is going with you. You don't need to look to me. I'm not the the reason you're here today. I'm not the reason you're going in today. It's the Lord. The Lord is the one that has brought you to this place, and He's the one that's going before you, the Lord Himself. And that's a good uh, example for a leader, to always deflect and turn the heart of those people you're called to minister to and lead to the Lord, whether you're a parent whether you're a teacher, whether you're a minister, whatever leadership or influence that God would give you, always use it to point people to Jesus, to the Lord. Because ultimately that's their source of strength. That's their source of help. You cannot really impart anything to them except what God gives you by His grace to minister to them and to encourage them in a season of their life. But ultimately each heart has to turn to the Lord. A few weeks ago we showed a little video where Greg Laurie was interviewing Pastor Chuck. And this was just, you know, a few months before he passed. And he said, you know, Chuck, when you get to heaven, what do you, what do you want people to be saying about you down here? And he said, oh, he said, I just want people to worship Jesus. That's what it's all about. I don't want them to even be talking about me. I want them to be talking about Jesus. And that's, that's the mark of a leadership, and that's the way leadership is transferred because God continues to be the focus, not the man. 
you know, um, God will use men, and God's work includes men, but His work does not depend on man. And, you know, even Jesus, even Jesus, when He left His disciples, He said, it's, it's good that I leave because I'm going to be able to send you the Holy Spirit. Even, even the Son was pointing to the work of the Spirit that God is going to be with you in a new and very present way actually living within you. And that will be better than you following and watching me lead. It will be better because God Himself in, in the Spirit will be with you. And this encouragement that it's God. He goes before you. He goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The truth is, it's a privilege to serve the Lord. It's a privilege to walk with the Lord. It's wonderful to have good leaders. It's wonderful to have good examples and mentors. But ultimately, it's the Lord that we serve. And He's the one that we follow. And God's work is not, it does not reside in man. And it is not dependent upon man. It is dependent upon His Spirit working in and through men. But you know, God can raise up anyone that He wants. You remember Mordecai when he came to Esther. Esther was getting ready to, kind of at that crossroad, should I put my life at risk and help my people, or should I just lay low and see what happens? And Mordecai said, don't, don't think that, that you can lay low. Don't imagine that you will escape trouble if you do not step into what God has called you to do. And he said this, God can raise deliverance from somewhere else. God doesn't need you, Esther, to accomplish His will. But it may be that you, are, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It is your privilege, Mordecai said to Esther, to be used by God. God can deliver with anyone at any time, but He has chosen you. And so as you consider those things in your own life, you know, uh, it's not that God needs you. You're not doing God a favor by submitting your life to Him, like, okay, somebody's got to do it, God, I... Yeah, here, yeah, you can count on me. I'm, I'm your man. No, it's a privilege to serve the Lord. The Lord's work is going to continue. God's going to bring those children out of, out of Egypt and into the Promised Land with or without Moses. It was Moses' privilege. Moses understood that, and he encourages the heart of the people continue to look to the Lord, and he points them to the to the Lord. The other thing that he does, and I think it's important as leadership is transferred his he does indeed pass the torch he doesn't try to hold on to something that god has told him now to give up he'd already spoke with joshua he'd already had joshua kind of under his ministry for many all these many years out in the wilderness joshua had been mentored and discipled and really had watched the example of moses joshua was was ready and it was, in fact, God who called Joshua. And we see Moses is happy to, to give it to Joshua. He speaks with Joshua in, sight, in the sight of all Israel. This was, you know, not Moses feeling bad. Oh, my, my star is fading, and now this young upstart is going to take my place. And he, wasn't, he didn't feel that any, in any way diminished. He recognized that his role was done, and now God's work in terms of leading would reside in Joshua. And so he encouraged Joshua in front of all the people, that the people would know, this is the man that God has now raised up to lead you. God himself is going with you. You look to the Lord, and the leadership is simply whom God assigns at any time. And today, it's passing from me to Joshua. And he passes that torch, and he says to Joshua, he encourages Joshua, be strong 
and courageous. I do think it's important that we that we live our lives in a way where we can pass the torch. Are you training your children? Are you are you ministering to younger? Are you leading an example for those that are watching coming up in the faith? Are we readying the next generation for the work of the kingdom? Now, we're not, you know, I'm not 120 today, but I, I I'm probably not going to live that long and I don't the work will not stop when I stop. So part of my ministry is to ready the next generation, ready, you know, those that are behind us to carry and pass the torch of the faith, to carry the work of the gospel into the next generation. You say things are going bad, wow, things and they are our culture, what's happening, what's going on. Well, what do you think it's going to be like 20 years from now? 30 years from now, who's going to bring salt and light into that culture? Well, it's the it's the teenagers among us today. These are the ones that have to we have to train and, and love on and show and, and model the faith and show them how to be faithful in a in a, a, a you know a culture that's resisting. Show them how to walk with God when the world is trying to you know move into the church. Show show them how to live a holy and godly life in a in a in a time when when it seems like everything is coming against the Christian walk and moral uh, conduct. We need to model it. We need to pass the torch. I believe that Moses did that in his ministry as well. Blessings that we see as Moses transfers the leadership. The second thing, let's take a look. We will see God emphasizing the priority of the word going forward in the nation. Look with me, verse 9. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time, in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. God wanting this law, this word to be written, and that it would be read every seven years in the presence of the entire congregation and nation, that they would gather every seven years, and there would be a re-reading of the law. Bring your kids. Bring the little ones. Let it be reinforced for those of you that know it. Let it be heard maybe for the first time for the younger ones. You bring them. They need to hear God's Word, the priority of the Word. And, you know, Timothy was instructed by Paul. You don't need to turn, but I remind you, this is out of Second Timothy. Now, Paul was getting ready. I just read that earlier. I've run, my, I've run the race. I've finished my course. Paul's letter to Timothy, the second letter that we have, was really the last epistle that he wrote. So he's coming to the end of his ministry. And uh, he's really passing on and charging Timothy uh, to maintain the integrity and priority of the Word. He says in Second Timothy 4, verse 1, I charge you, therefore, 
before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. One of the things that I do admire about uh, Calvary Chapel and its ministry philosophy is a priority of teaching God's Word. That we really look to explain, teach, you know, just as Paul, as Paul said, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching the Word of God. It is God's Word that ultimately brings life to the body of Christ, brings life and wisdom into your personal life. It is not man's ideas or techniques or philosophies. It is not man's clever ways of doing church and attracting, you know, maybe the the new generation, this culture that we live in. Now, I'm all for being as creative as we can in outreach and ministering, but if you're not bringing the Word... If you're not bringing God's truth from His Word, then you're not bringing anything that can help. You're just bringing your own ideas. You may be well-intended. You may have great motives. It may, you know, you may feel really uh, passionate about it. But ultimately, what we need to do is bring God's Word to bear on our own hearts and in the hearts of those that we have privilege to touch for the name of Christ. It is His Word. We cannot compromise it. We cannot yield to the culture. We cannot modify it. We cannot, uh, you, know, you know, let's just preach some parts of it, but leave some of the more. Uh, we must preach the whole counsel of God. And Paul knew this. Paul knew that this would be uh, where the enemy would assault. Paul knew and understood that this would be the, 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 the thing that needed to ma- be maintained for the life of the church to be healthy and vibrant. Timothy, I charge you, listen to this language, before God and the Lord Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead at, the, uh, at, the, at His appearing at His kingdom, preach the word. Strong exhortation, and you see it here in Deuteronomy. Moses, I'm 120 years old. I'm passing the leadership to Joshua. Now here's what these, this law that has been written, this God's Word that has been given to us. We're going to read it together. God wants you together as a people reading it every seven years. And this was something that God looked to instill. And He commissioned it to them. Let's look on here and we see verses 14 and 15, the actual inauguration of Joshua. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. This is what the Lord said to Moses. That's, that's something you don't necessarily get excited to hear. That's not the word you're looking for, but this is the word Moses got. Look, Moses, um, it's close to when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him or commission him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. You know, Joshua is certainly the prepared heir to the leadership that that God is looking for. But ultimately, God wants it to be official. Come to the tabernacle 
where I will commission him, where I will inaugurate him. And it just speaks to us a reminder that it is God that calls. It is God that tasks us to ministry. Joshua was not chosen by Moses. Joshua was not chosen by the congregation. They didn't, a vote was not taken. God made a decision. God chose the young man that would replace Moses. And this is the way all of God's work is accomplished. It is done by His choosing, His calling, His commissioning. Jesus told His disciples, you didn't choose me. You didn't come here and think that this would be a good uh, you know, job transition for yourself. I chose you. I have assigned you to this task. And so it is the same in Joshua's case. The book of Hebrews tells us this, Hebrews 5.4, talking about the priesthood and ministry. No man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God. Now it may be that the church lays hands on an individual and prays for them. It may be that you know the church would acknowledge what God is calling and doing. But it is ultimately God that calls. You remember in Acts chapter 13, when the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas to the work that I have called them to. Then the church, having prayed and fasted, laid hands on them and sent them out. The church didn't really call them. The church simply agreed with the calling of God that was upon them. And this is the ministry of the church. The church doesn't call a man. God calls. Now the church is that place where we acknowledge, yes, amen, lay your hands on this person. It's clear God has called them. We acknowledge, we recognize what God is calling a man or woman to do. But it is ultimately God that calls and God that commissions. Well, from here... God is now going to begin to instruct Moses to prepare a song, the song of Moses. It is a song that is going to be taught to the children of Israel, and God wants it to be sung on a regular basis. And, you know, sometimes music or songs help us remember things, don't they? I mean, when you put lyrics to music and and you learn the song, sometimes you can remember You know, the words, the lyrics to a song, uh, you can't remember a Bible verse very well, but boy, you remember that verse if it's been put to a song. And so God is going to do something here now because He wants to really try to burn something into the heart and memory of the children of Israel. And part of this song, as you'll see, and I don't know how far we'll get through it tonight, but we'll get it started here tonight. Part of this song is going to be, there's going to be built into it a warning, a strong warning of being careful about your future. And you see, God is getting ready to bless this people. God is getting ready to send them into the promised land. And He knows, of course, God knows what's going to happen. He knows the future backslidings that are going to come. But He understands the the temptation that comes when God begins to pour out blessing and you begin to find that place of rest and prosperity that you sometimes forget that need and desperation that you have of God. And this is something that God knows about the heart of man. You see, they've been out in the wilderness. They've been every day. They have to go out and get manna. Every day, God has had to provide. I mean, they've been dependent upon God. But they're getting ready to come into a very different kind of experience. And God knows that with that blessing, with that prosperity, with that abundance, there will be the tendency for your heart 
to slowly slip away from your dependence and devotion to the Lord. And God wants to set up a song to witness, uh, as a witness to their heart. Uh, Pick it up with me, verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land, where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. And then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they have done, and in that day, in that they have turned to other gods. Now therefore... Write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant." Then it shall be with when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify against them as a witness. For it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. For I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I have brought them to the land of which I swore to give them. We read on, verse 22, Therefore Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. Verse 24, And so it was, when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law, Put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing, and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. And then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. And chapter 32 records for us this song. It's kind of a... You know, kind of a downer, isn't it? I mean, the Lord's saying, be strong and courageous. You're getting ready to go in and have victory. I'm giving you the promised land. Oh, and by the way, once you get there, I know how your heart is inclined. When you become comfortable and you become prosperous, you're going to abandon me. And then there's going to come judgments and disciplines upon you as a people. And it is something of a kind of a, wow, you know, Bad timing, Lord. You had us feeling really good about being strong and courageous, and then now this kind of this downer. And we can kind of wonder, you know, 
Lord, why, why tell the people all of this, this uh, future about their failure and what, what generations to come is, is going to you know, bring and, 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 and the judgments that will come? Well, the, the reason is that God is giving them this warning is to prolong that inevitability. You know, God does know the heart. And we see that right here. The Lord says, I know the inclination of their behavior. You know, Jesus in John 2.25, it said that He had no need that anyone should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. It's important to understand that the inclination of man's heart is not toward God, not to obey God, but rather to drift and to rebel and to sin. That is really the nature of man's heart. And it is only through the grace of God. It is only through relationship with God. It is only through the Spirit of God empowering us to live for Him that we can really hope to live the life He's called us to. Jesus would say this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can do nothing apart from me. We are ever dependent upon a relationship that is fruitful, that is vibrant, that is abiding in Him if we hope to live the life He's called us to, the life of abundance, the life of blessing, a life of prosperity, a life of spiritual fruit. God loves His people. He's not saying these things to discourage them. He's saying these things to warn them. And it would be these warnings, God said, these are the things that I'm giving to you to prolong your days in the land. You see, we need a clear warning. We need an understanding of what it is God is asking of us and what um, our natural tendencies and then the, the end of that if we continue and persist in those ways. God is being as loving and as honest as He can. He wants to give them a song that, that will remind them of these truths. To remind them of the blessings that have come from Him. Also to warn them in order to preserve and to protect also to impart an understanding that uh, God, uh, God's desire is not that we would come into these things, but rather it will happen because of your own departing from Him. And it is also given so that when it happens, you will understand what you must do. You've got to come back to the Lord. That's why God is giving these warnings. Let me just say some of those reasons again. First of all, a reminding of God's blessing as you walk with Him. A warning to help preserve and protect your life with Him. Giving you an understanding that if your life begins to come under this kind of peril and, and turmoil and, and judgment, it's not because God is, mad, God is mean, it's because you have left Him. Take stock. What's going on in my life? How did I get here? Now, it may just be trial. Trial comes to believers' lives that are walking close with the Lord. There can be trial. And God uses trial to produce patience and, and maturity and faith. But sometimes the drama that we end up in, guys, it's our own doing. It's our own choices. It's our own decisions. It's our own having slid and departed from the Lord in relationship and trust and faith. And we're beginning to serve other gods and other masters and other things. 
And then our lives begin to show and manifest the consequences of sowing to the flesh. And we wonder, God, why have you abandoned me? God has said, I never left. You abandoned me. You are now coming under the discipline of your own doing and your own choosing. And because I love you, I will discipline you. God's Bible says that all of His legitimate children will experience discipline because He loves, loves us. And these warnings are here to cast something of a, of a road map to the nation so that when these things do happen, and they did, that they would at least understand why they would be experiencing these things and how and what do I need to do? How do I get back? You return to the Lord. You come home to the Lord. The prodigal son, it wasn't until he'd run his course complete, right? And then he remembered. He remembered the blessing of his father's home. He remembered that even the servants in his father's house had it better than where he was eating with the pigs in the trough. And it was that recollection of God and the blessing of God and and, and the realization of what He had done, that's what drew His heart home. And this is part of what God, I believe, through this song of Moses that He's getting ready to teach, is instilling into the life of the nation. That, you know what, They, they they would slide away. They would depart, but there would also be an opportunity to return. And we would see this through the life of the nation. And, you know, truthfully, if you're honest, I think most of us have ex- experienced some of that in our own Christian journey as well. We find ourselves kind of somewhere not close to the Lord. And things, you know, our, our lives kind of end up oftentimes, you know, with great difficulty. And we need to, maybe we just need to take stock and say, you know, how did I get here? Maybe I need to come home. Maybe it's because of choices that I've been making and priorities that I have established for myself. I need to return to the Lord. And that, that, that warning that God gives is not to discourage or not to, not to drive you away. God is not looking to condemn and distance His people. But rather, He is looking to, to correct that you would repent and return to the Lord. That you would know the way home. You would know how you got here and you would know what you must do to come back to that place of fellowship and blessing. Now, we live under a new covenant. We live under a covenant of grace and mercy. But you know, even as Christians walking by grace, we can sow to the flesh and reap from the flesh the corruption and the discipline that it brings. And God has given us those warnings. Even in the New Testament, we have clear instruction, clear warning, clear encouragement to serve the Lord and enjoy the blessings that come by staying close to Him. We'll take a look at a little bit of the song here. We won't get through all of it, but let's just take a, a few of these verses and, and then I'll close here tonight. The first for four verses of the song, we see that it is to ascribe greatness to the Lord. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb, and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are justice a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. Boy, that's a good way 
to start the song, to ascribe the greatness of God, to ascribe the character of God. If you're going to remember this song, a lot of times, I don't know about you, when I remember songs, I I remember the first verse, but I don't remember all the other verses sometimes. Well, this would be the verse to memorize, wouldn't it? This would be the first stanza you would always remember because it's how the song starts. And it ascribes the greatness. It says that His work is perfect. It says that His ways are justice. That He is the God of truth without injustice. He is righteous and upright. He is the rock. You know, I think just there, there is lesson for some. You know, oftentimes we doubt the Lord's character. Because of circumstances, we call His integrity into question. If we're not careful, we can even accuse Him of not treating us right. Maybe we don't say it, but... We kind of think it, we feel it, we secretly you know, believe it. And it's important to remember that God is perfect and just and true. You know, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, don't turn, but let me remind you, you may know this passage, it's a pretty popular passage. But in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 27, it says this, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. God asks of Jacob, his people, he asks a question, guys, why is it that you are saying that God's that your way is hidden from God and your just case has been overlooked by the Lord? You get you get the spirit of this. It's it's coming to that place where you feel like God has abandoned you. You feel like God doesn't even know. I'm going, Lord, do you see what's going on here? Are you even aware of my problem? Do you even care about my circumstance? Lord, my case is just. Lord, what I'm going through, what I'm, what I'm asking for, what I'm needing, it, it's, my, it's a just cause. Lord, this should not be happening. You should be doing this. They should not be doing that. And we feel this great sense of injustice that the Lord is allowing our just cause to go unheard. Our case is not being even you know, heard by the, by the God of the earth. And so God asks this of Jacob. Israel, why, why do you say this? How can you say this to God? He answers this question, verse chapter 40 of Isaiah 28. He says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. It's almost like, do you, do you really believe that God has lost track of you? Do you really believe that the God of the universe has overlooked your situation? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Do you not remember that this is the God who never grows weary? He's never asleep on the job. His understanding is unsearchable. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows the number of hairs upon your head. He knows He holds the days of your life in His hand. Before there was one, He knew the number of them. He calls the stars by name. Should I go on? You know who this God is. He is the rock. His work is perfect. His ways are justice. He is a God of truth without injustice. He is righteous and upright. 
Let that settle in your heart tonight. God is perfect and pure and true and loving. He is... He never faints, nor is weary, and His understanding is unsearchable. He goes on in Isaiah 40, He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why do you say, God, this isn't fair? God, have you lost sight of my situation? Have you not known, have you not heard that your God is ever on the job and that He gives strength and power to the weak? To those that will wait on Him. The key is waiting on the Lord, isn't it? Looking to the Lord in faith. Trusting Him in time. God is with you. God is for you. And God goes with you as you cross over this Jordan to go into this place where there will be battles, but there will be blessing and God will be your strength. Don't be discouraged. Don't grow weary in well-doing. And so the word is, you know, human nature, God knew the hearts of the people then, and I think He knows our hearts today. I don't think man's heart has changed much. You know, we're inclined, when things are good, we're we're inclined to drift. And then we get into this crisis and we, well, God, why have you forsaken me? And God wanting to remind this people, listen, I am good My ways are right. Trust me. And so we are called to trust Him as well. Just a few more verses. This will be my last little reading and we'll close. I've got just a few minutes. Verses 5 through 14. Continuing now in the song, They have corrupted themselves. They are not His children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord? O foolish and unwise people, is He not your Father who bought you? Has He not made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your Father. He will show you. Your elders, they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when He separated the sons of Adam and set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel, For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the place of His inheritance. He found Him in a desert land and in a wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled Him. He instructed Him. He kept Him as the apple of His eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led Him, and there was no foreign God with Him. He made him ride on the heights of the earth, that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock, and oil from the flinty rock, curds from the cattle, and milk of the flock, with fat of lambs, and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats, with the choicest wheat, and you drank wine, the blood of the grapes. God reminding them in this song of His faithfulness. Talking about a time when they would 
inevitably turn from the Lord and they, he asks that question in verse 6, Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is He not your Father who bought you? Has He not made you and established you? And then he goes on to explain, Don't you remember? Don't you know your history? Don't you know who you are, children of Israel? Don't you know you're God's children? Don't you know the story of how He bought you and saved you and and, and gave you this good place? Is this the way you would now treat your Father? Turn your back on Him now that you're comfortable, now you become lax and you begin to drift? Is this the way to treat the Lord? The prophet Jeremiah would ask something of the Lord's children as they, as they were in a time of rebellion. He said this in Jeremiah 2.5, Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? Isaiah the prophet, talking about God tending to His people like a vineyard. And he says in Isaiah 4, 5 verse 4, What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? You see, God is not the offender. God is the offended party when our relationship with Him deteriorates. Is this a way to treat the Father that has bought you and saved you and done for you? He's trying to kind of bring them to think reasonably in this song, and the prophets would voice a similar thought in Jeremiah and Isaiah. Listen, God has treated you right. God has been good. God has been loving. God has been faithful. Is it right now for you to to wander away from Him or to complain or to murmur or to be disgruntled with how He's treating you or what's going on in your life? It's my spouse. It's my job. It's my boss. It's the church. It's the pastor. it's, It's everybody, everything. It's all bad. It's all bad. It's God. Is this a way to treat your Father who has been good to you? Don't you know your history? Don't you know who you are? Don't you know that He saved you when you were lost? Don't you know that you were lost in sin? Don't you know He sent His Son Jesus to die for you at the cross? Do you think for a moment that having done all of that for you in Christ, that He would somehow now abandon you and leave you to despair? Something is going on in your heart. It's not the Lord. The Lord has not left you. The Lord has not changed. Something has gone on in your life. Something is going on in your life that you have taken your focus off of Him. You've put it on your circumstance. You've put it on your trials. You've put it on your own challenges. And you've lost sight of the One who bought you. Come back to to Jesus. Come back to that place of humility. We sang it tonight. My heart was stirred. Oh, you know, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross. Do you remember that you're just, you and I, we're just sinners? And Jesus died for us, and He cleansed you, and He washed you, and He set you free. And though you were red like scarlet, He's made you white as snow. God loves you. God has loved you. He has loved on you. And He's not finished. God wants to bless. God wants to draw you into the fullness of what He has for you. 
God does not give these warnings to push them away. He, he says these things to draw them home. Come back to the Lord, your Maker, your God, your Father. That's the only appropriate way to treat Him. To walk in faith and trust and love. Maybe you need... You know, just a, a resetting of your of your thinking tonight. Maybe you need your mind renewed. Maybe you've gotten distracted. Maybe you've you become overwhelmed with trouble and circumstance and trial. Oh, I encourage you, come back to the Lord. Remember who you are. Remember your history. Ask your elders, they'll tell you. Uh, Moses' song says. Ask one of the fathers, they'll let you know what God has done. They can tell you what God has done for them and what He's done for you. Let's consider what God has done for us even tonight. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your words to the children of Israel as Moses handing off the the leadership to Joshua. We see, Lord, a beautiful transition. And it's because God, Moses, neither Moses nor Joshua, they were not some kind of celebrities. It was God. They pointed the people to You, the Lord God Himself. And so, Lord, in our walk, help, help us, Lord, not to look to man, not to put some undue allegiance to a man, but rather look to You. Because Your work goes on. The kingdom advances from generation to generation. Leadership will be passed from one to another. But the work of God will advance and continue in our lives as we follow after You. And Lord, the warning. The warning for these children of Israel because You knew their inclination that when they got comfortable that they would, they would have the tendency to forget the Lord. And that this would begin to produce trouble in their life. And so for our hearts tonight, Lord, maybe there are some here that have gotten maybe too comfortable in their walk, have lost their spiritual edge, so to speak, not really sensing that need, that appreciation for what you've done. Maybe we need a reminder tonight, Lord, you bought me. You died for me on the cross. I'm just a sinner, Lord. You saved me. I have no claim before You, God. My claim is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Cleanse me, save me, rescue me. My hope is in You, Lord. I would ask, God, that You would speak to our hearts tonight and just remind us that You are a perfect God, just and true in all Your ways, that You never slumber nor sleep, that You do give strength to the weak, those that will wait on You. In time, they shall renew their strength. And so tonight, Lord, I pray, there may be some that need to come back to You. There may be some that just need to hang in there and wait on You, trust You. Protect us, Lord. Protect our hearts from a grumbling or a distraction or a, or a losing faith or confidence in You. But Lord, that we would be reminded tonight that You're worthy of our trust and our faith and our hope. And as our heads are bowed here tonight, I, I do want to give an opportunity, if you're here and you need to respond to the Lord, it may be that you were here tonight and you do not have a relationship with God. You've never really received Jesus into your life as your Savior. 
And it may be that the Lord is drawing your heart. Tonight you realize, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. God, I need you. I, uh, what's going on in my life is because I don't have you in my life. And I want to come to you tonight. I want to confess my sin. I want to be cleansed. I want to be right with you. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. And I want to receive you tonight. If that's your heart tonight, I, I just want to pray that prayer over you. And I want to give you a chance to respond. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to come back to the Lord. Rededicate your life to Him. You know, it is our inclination to drift. It is our propensity to kind of get caught up and distracted with life, with trouble, with circumstance. And maybe you're here tonight and... Your heart is far from the Lord and you need to come back to Him and just rededicate, recommit your life to Him. Maybe these verses have spoken to your heart tonight. Is this a way to treat your Father? Is this really the way you want to have your relationship with Him? Come home tonight. Give your heart back to Him. Rededicate your life to Him completely and in earnest. I'd love to pray for you. If you're here tonight and you need Jesus for the first time, Or you need to rededicate your life. Would you raise your hand? God bless you. Any others? Just raise your hand so I can see you and I'll pray for you. Anyone else here tonight? God bless you, sir, as well. Amen. Anyone else? Just before I pray for these two. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the work of your word into the hearts. And Lord, we are grateful tonight that when we turn to You, when we cry out to You, You are faithful to answer. You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins as we, as we confess them before You. And so we say, Lord, forgive us. Lord, I'm sorry. I want to repent of these things. I would ask You to cleanse me by the blood of Jesus at the cross. Cleanse me and renew me and fill me with your love and your life now. God, help me to walk close to you in faith and trust and confidence, to wait on you, Lord, that you would renew my strength tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me tonight when I close in a song of worship? Just before we close in worship, I do want to just ask you to join your faith with me tonight. This message was just handed to me. We have a couple that we need to pray for. Um, Bev Mitchum is going to the hospital for an ultrasound. There's a possible blood clot in her leg. So we want to lift up Bev. We also want to lift up Linda Newman, who has just come through surgery. The surgery went well, but she is recovering. And uh, so let's pray for these two ladies in their physical body, and then we'll close tonight in worship. Father, we do thank you for the power of prayer and the opportunity to intercede. We lift up Bev, we lift up Linda, we lift up the families and those surrounding them. We ask that you would touch and that you would heal. We ask God for quick recovery. We ask God for the very best of of doctors and and help, God. We ask for the family to be strong and to be praying. And God, that we would see you work in these lives. Lord, they're just a small sample of many physical things that are going on, I know, in the congregation. I pray for your healing, for your protection, for your hand of grace to minister and to help in time of need. We ask these things in Jesus' name.